This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello and welcome to the first Back of the Nest review show of 2020 following last week's festive review. In this episode, we look back at the talking points from the 1-1 draw at home to Arsenal. Another game which saw a passive and disjointed opening ended with the Eagles feeling that it was more two points dropped than one gained. We'll look back at the key moments, listen to contact, transfers and the VAR protests that are taking shape. We'll be right back after this short message. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, time to introduce you to my panel. And it is an old school look today. First of all, I mean, we'll go with Patrick O'Connor first. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Chris. How are you today? I'm absolutely marvellous, full of uh, joy. We're recording this earlier than we usually do, so I'm <laughs> awake um, and feeling pretty good. And I've barely started drinking the gin that I have near me. So nice and positive. And um, anyone who listened to last week, there's nobody on the show this week as drunk as Chris Clark was last week. Um, although I think that would be physically impossible. Anyway, so good to have you on, Patrick. Look forward to your insight We've also got a returning after what he claims is 18 months. It's Mr. Nick Gillard. Hello, Nick. Watcher. How's it going? Yeah, brilliant. Um, let's, let's have a little catch up. Well, we've had Brexit. We've had four different presenters on Love Sport. I think we've had three governments. But we've had the same manager, which when you look at Palace, is extraordinary. That's absolutely insane. And um, a very interesting point. Well done, Nick. Good prep. I like it. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, we won't spend too much longer uh, talking to each other because we've got plenty to get through this week. Uh, but a couple of bits of admin for you. First of all, um, I think from, if I remember right, it's from the 19th onward, you'll be getting some daily short podcasts from us um, around the transfer window, um, which should culminate in a live show on transfer deadline day. Back More old school stuff. We used to do live shows every transfer deadline day. Um, always very well received to a point, um, apart from the the, the, uh, the windows where we did absolutely nothing in terms of transfer business. But hoping for an exciting one this year and we'll be bringing you plenty of content. Also check out the Back of the Nest YouTube channel where DR's been doing some amazing work. 
Um, do subscribe as well. Plenty of stuff on there for you. And watch out for DR's hand movements. Very exciting um, <laughs> stuff, really. But uh, also, you do remember you can get in touch with us with voice messages using WhatsApp. Uh, chuck the number 0203 575 1266 into your contacts and uh, drop us a message by the pre or subsequent to matches and we'll uh, we'll use your content on the show or to shape the show um if you're not on any social media where you can follow us um, or anything like that remember you can always email hi at back of the nest.com to get in touch and we'll also use those as well and finally if you're whatever podcast app you're listening to us on please give us a, a five-star review on there and help spread the word of our podcast that's quite enough of that business. Um, so I want to start really before we get into the the, the meat of the Arsenal game as, as such. Uh, a little bit of a palate cleanser for you because I want to talk about transfers uh, for a little bit. Just some of the key targets, some of the rumours out. Uh, but probably most importantly, I want to talk first of all about a, a signing that's actually happened. So we've signed Junk Tosin online from uh, online <laughs> on loan from Everton uh, for six months, and um, yeah, he had a little bit of a cameo appearance in the Arsenal game. So let's get some general thoughts first of all. I'll uh, start with yourself, Patrick, on the signing in, um, as, a, as a concept, first of all. I like it. Obviously, we are in uh, desperate need of a uh, goal-scoring striker um, with Benteke injured and Wickham kind of coming back from injury. So I, I like the idea. I'm not fussed about what he said previously as far as some comments that he made about everything being a bigger club. They are a bigger club, so that is what it is. But I just hope that he gets off to a you know a good start, you know, Striking is all about having confidence, and um, if he doesn't get off to a quick start, it could be a problem. But um, like what he did yesterday, he wasn't on for very long. He got, came out of the Myers injury. Uh, I like his endeavor. Uh, I like his movement, um, his graft, etc. So hopefully he can score. My only issue with that, Chris, is going to be, honestly, I, I always find that with strikers, they need the service. So hopefully we can tweak what we do, and he'll be a success. Yeah, definitely. I think... You know, this, the service is always going to be an issue. We don't create huge numbers of chances. And I know in the past we've talked about the fact that we have created chances, we've just not finished them. But I think, you know, certainly this season, that's less of the case. And you can see that in the sort of statistical analysis that gets done. We're one of, if not the lowest chance creators in the Premier League, which kind of emphasises how great the points total we've got actually is. But um, I think Tosin hopefully will enable us to perhaps change our approach a little bit and give us a few more options with his mobility. Yeah, and I think you have to give someone like Jordan Ayew a lot of credit because he's got six goals this year. Let's be honest, he probably hasn't had more than 20, 30 chances throughout the whole season. The fact that he scored so many goals is a credit to him. So, uh, you know, again, hopefully Tosin will go off to a good start and he'll get some more goals for us. Sure. Nick, uh, your your general thoughts on Tosin as a signing? Um. In, until we see him a bit, I don't think I can I can make much of a point. Apart from the fact that Everton fans I've spoken to said he's got a really, really good attitude and really gets stuck in all around the club. So that that's going to be good. Hopefully he'll keep the um, the team spirit up a bit. But as Patrick said, it's all about the service, isn't it? It is absolutely all about the service in it. Um, so a couple of things I'll mention as well. You know, Patrick, you've hinted at the, the negative reaction in the comments. I think the club even addressed it in his um, his first interview uh, with Chris Grissom, which I think was good to see that, that they're addressing the things that he said. And he quite rightly pointed out that, you know, you say those things when you join a club or when in, in this case, when he stayed with his, with his team. Um, I think, you know, if we're being sensitive about it, perhaps he could have picked his words a little bit carefully or 
you know, given the standard footballers answer of, well, you know, I don't want to think about what may or may not have happened. I'm here now. I'm playing Champions League football and I'm happy, that kind of thing. Um, but people, in my opinion, are getting over way, way, way too sensitive about um, some throwaway comments in the press. There's all sorts of stuff you could look at in the past of various people that have been at our club and, and, and take offence to. And, you know, I, I think, you know, comments in the media are, are fairly low on my priorities of, of how I judge people. I'll judge Chunk Tosin on how he plays in a Palace shirt and the effort and application that he, he gives while playing for our team. It's got to be some sort of record, though, for signing to actually appearing on the pitch for Roy, because normally you have to wait seven or eight months before you even see them as a sub. So that that's a good sign. Well, it was interesting that obviously Roy was asked how did he think that he did, um, and he said rusty, which is which is with, with a big smile on his face. So, um, and I think that was fair to a point. But um, I like the fact he ran the channels. Um, you know, he's, he's got a little bit of pace about him, even if, if he is rusty. Um, not quite as tall as I thought. I think he's you know, at six foot at most, which is you know taller than me. But you know, you used to strikers being giants these days. But you know, seems to have a, a bit about him. Um, but obviously, he's got to play football to ensure that he gets used to how we play and we get used to to what he gives us. Otherwise, you know, it'll be it'll be a while before he before he nets and then the pressure will start to build. I think. Um, also, want to point out that you know some people have observed the fact that a, a Greek flag was waved at the game. I scoured the internet to see what that was about. It seems that one person in particular had a political point to make. I'm not going to dwell on it. I personally keep politics way out of football, please, in, in, in my opinion. But you know, everyone's entitled to say and do what they feel, I guess. But um, I don't think him playing for Palace should really um, should, should really be dragged into that kind of thing. You know, so there'll be people who who aren't prepared, you know, to support him from day one because of what was said in the past. That's their prerogative. I hope he changed their minds. Uh, for me, as I say, judge him on how he plays, and um, fingers crossed, he, he can get some goals before the end of the season. Because you know, when you've got someone else tucking them away, it, it takes the pressure off others. You know, and it also puts pressure on your opponent to you know to keep an eye on him. You know, we'll get to this, but I think if you look at how Arsenal put two or three people on Zaha all the time throughout the game. I think if we've got someone a bit more dangerous out there, um, I think we can take advantage of that and it also free Wilf up a little bit. Um, and I think, again, RU probably takes a bit of advantage over the attention that Wilf gets as well. Um, not that RU's performances haven't been great because they have. Anyway, general thoughts on Toast and there. Uh, fingers crossed it goes well. So let's talk about some of the players we've, we've got links in. Uh, mentioned it on a previous show, but we'll go into it a little bit more detail now that Roy has confirmed that it's um, something that we're trying to do. And that's Kyle Walker-Peters um, at, at Tottenham. Not been getting into the Spurs side, some injury um, and, you know, again, some degree of non-selection, shall we say. Um, so clearly that he's a player that um, Tottenham are, are willing to lose, be that alone or permanent. And some rumours in the press that the loan fee that's being talked about is too high for us and we'll be looking elsewhere. But a player with a lot of talent, one of a number of you know strong English right-backs that are out there at the moment. Um, but I think financially, I think this is probably the, the sort of better deal that's available for us at the moment. Patrick? Yeah, um, based on what I've seen of late, I think we definitely need to get another right-back. I've got no issue with um, Kelly, but I think he struggled the last three or four matches. I think he's better suited to be a a centre-half. Uh, Ward still being out, I think that should be our priority. Walker-Peters is a player who I have seen a bit. I remember him a little bit in England youth set-up team. He's a decent player. I'm not sure. if I don't think he'd be my number one choice. 
honestly. Um, I think he's a little suspect defensively. Uh, he's young. Uh, he can get forward, which I kind of what I like in a right back. But I don't think he's solid defensively as I would like. But like I said, the names have been put out there so far. If we can get him on a loan and with a with a view to signing him, because I'm not really big on just loaning him for the six months. We did that with Fosu Mensa. I'm not really big on those short term uh, types of uh, loans with with fullbacks, especially even though he's young. I I think it would be uh, you know something we need to address, whether it's him or someone else. Yeah, I think that the short term part of it is a, is a really good point. Um, clearly, we need to bring some youth into the squad. Um, we certainly need a long-term option. And it, again, about squad strength, isn't it? You know, Royce talked about only wanting to sign players that will compete for a first-team place. You know, Ward needs that competition. He should be back relatively soon, by all accounts. Um, but even when he is back, it doesn't mean we can get away with not signing another fullback because... Yeah, we've put ourselves under a tremendous amount of pressure over these last few games. And if you look at the games, you know, there were more points available than we got. We've done very well to get what we had. But um, obviously, if we'd had perhaps a, a stronger squad to pick from and not had so many injuries, I think our points total would be better than it is. So um, I think an important signing, whether it's Kyle Walker-Peters or somebody else. Um, we'll come to another right-back option or a couple of right-back options in a bit. But um, a quite surprising development we talked about uh christoph uh in the last show but kind of dismissively and I, I still feel kind of dismissive about it but reports in um a reputable polish newspaper that um we're close to a 30 million pound deal for him i would be stunned if we spend that much money on a striker um i don't know if it's being used to flush out interest elsewhere i'm not so sure that tends to be the case but an exciting player, um, as, as very you know, he's young. He's twenty four years old. Got a good scoring record. Struggled a touch at Milan, um, but but not tremendously. And you know, in terms of minutes, I think he's averaging a, a goal every three games, even even in a, a, a time where he's struggling. So, don't know if you've got any thoughts or feelings on that, Nick. But um, yeah, yeah, certainly an interesting one. It's interesting that if if we're going to be Paying out that sort of money, a couple of people on social media have said, "Well, maybe that's paving the way." You know, we're getting the money if we if we get rid of Wilf. But um, we'll talk about that later with Wilf's performance in the game and and transfers. I think, but it shows intent, which is good, and it'd be nice to buy a player than rather than get on loan with a view to buying later because we don't want to fall into the uh, trap we did a few years ago with Marco Reich. Don't know if you remember how brilliant he was. <laughs> And then we signed him and he disappeared and he was absolutely useless. So we don't want them playing well to get a job and then just being crap. Which is absolutely. a worry. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, and you know, hold look, on. Go on, go on back. Reich had one good game. Against QPR, QPR was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So. Well, there we go. It's, I understand the, the cautionary message. I'm not sure the um, we needed to go back that, that far for the player to reference. Um, but, you know, I think whenever we invest large sums of money it is a huge risk and you think about two of the most recent large investments in in Mama Sacco and Christian Benteke I mean Sacco to start with has been a brilliant player for us but injuries have meant that we've not really seen enough of him to perhaps justify that that transfer fee maybe you know but but it was worth the signing and you know certainly when he was on loan was was a difference between us going down and staying up but you can see once we've invested that money, perhaps we haven't got value. And similarly with ben, Benteke, because first season, 17 goals, it looked like money well spent. But obviously the struggles since then um, really just draw attention to the fact that sometimes 
you know, you prefer a two and a half million pound Jordan IU signing to um to you know twenty twenty eight million on Christian Benteke, wouldn't you? So, but it's it is a bit potluck, and it's the same for every club out there as well. You can't guarantee anything just because you spent a ton of money. But if we're there, if we have that sort of money, lots of people speculating that it must mean there's a takeover if we've got that sort of money. But well, I don't know. We took fifty million quid for Wan Pasaka, didn't we? And we've done some deal to get more of that to to spend. Um, in this transfer window. But to me, that would suggest that's probably all of it. And and I think it's unlikely. Moving quickly on another rumoured signing that sort of popped up over the last 24 hours. Uh, Ashley Young was um, linked with a move to Inter Milan, uh, but we've been linked this morning. Strange one, not a popular player at Palace, but what do we think? One word, no. (laughs) There you go. Um, what you, what, what's your main reasons for that, Patrick? Are we talking age? Are we talking attitude? Are we talking ability? What do, you, what do you think? Yes, yes, and kind of. Someone like, I mean, listen, the uh, history of him is not great. I'm not a fan of him at Manchester United, obviously. His age is a, is a huge issue. The one thing we'd bring would be leadership, which we at times do need. His ability, I mean, he can play left back, right back, but I, uh, no, I just, again, if he comes, I'll support him, but I would be. I wouldn't be upset because it's not worth getting upset over, but it would irk me if Ashley Young was signed by Crystal Palace right now. It really would bother me. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even see the point. Besides the fact we need a you know backup left back and a backup right back, I would not like that at all. Well, Nick, is he a, a better player at right back than than Kelly? Quite possibly. I'm just really worried about the average age of the squad, um, and we need to be looking at younger players. I'd take KWP over Ashley Young and play on the other side if if needs be. It's just we get okay. We were all wrong about um, Cahill. I don't think any of us said, oh, yeah, let's get him. And actually, we've been really, really surprised at how good he is. Um, so whether Ashley Young would be another Cahill, I don't know. But it, it's just the age of the squad. And they're all going to get too old at the same time, which will be a really big worry. And then we'd have to blood so many youngsters in at once. It would almost be like playing the under 23s i don't know it's you you want to bring the younger players through gradually but we're not really bringing any through well no i mean that's that's a challenge for for a lot of Premier league clubs but uh, you know especially in in our current environment but we won't dwell on that we've talked about that before i'll just throw a couple of things in there with regards ashley young you know obviously it would be a short-term option we're not massive fans of short-termism but you know experienced Premier league player but for me the thing that stuck out in my head when i saw it because my instant reaction is exactly the same you know, other other than the argument he's potentially a better right back than Martin Kelly is, um, it just seemed wrong in terms of age and commitment and the fact that, you know, he's got he'd have to do an awful lot to win over majority of the fans because he's not a popular uh, player at Palace. But I'm just gonna say the words set piece delivery and move on. <laughs> so I got Patrick. You know what? As you said that, I did think that man, our set piece delivery is so poor, and um, Youngs is actually very, very good. But even that doesn't mitigate the fact I wouldn't want to have him here. But I'm thinking out loud, and you guys can say, "Have you? Do you remember us getting a player that you really didn't like, and then came here and you decided to like?" Because I can't think of one really that I really hated, and then came the past and said, "Ah, you know what? He's not so." I just can't think of one off the top of my head. Do you? Any guys remember anybody really? <laughs> I would say not quite when we got him did I not like him, but Shefki Kuchi, I I very quickly turned against um, (laughs) with good reason. You know what? You missed the obvious one, though. Jordan Much. Oh, (laughs) Oh. that's the one, right? Never mind. (laughs) Well, that's where I've got to be honest, because when we signed him, I did the stupid, stupid thing. 
of looking at the the videos and I have this thing where I was like, okay, look at we've got Fraser Campbell as well. Look at how they linked up for Cardiff. This is a great signing, and it'll take a while to bed in. And I, I you know, for the first couple of months, I was like, yeah, he'll be all right, he'll be good. He's just not played enough football. But then you know, he's now a player who was not good enough for a relegated Korean team <laughs> who no no longer has a club. And yeah, so so. Yeah, we've all been wrong there. I will say, Nick, you're completely wrong about Cahill. I, I'd never criticise that signing at all. I was quite excited when it happened. Or me, so, by the way. Uh, to you. Uh, um, very quickly, a couple more. Uh, Jordan Ibe, um, just someone we've linked with. A lot of negativity around that for me. Uh, player with a lot of promise in the past. It's always a gamble. You know, is is he someone who mentally isn't quite right? And that's why he's not succeeded at Bournemouth but you know Bournemouth's not been the best of places for some other talented players you know they've got a very similar to ourselves there's a very specific system there there's you know the manager's been around a long long time and he's not going to change his methods to accommodate a new player he's going to get a new player to come and fit into those methods so you know there's a potentially very very good pacey player there uh, who can give us an option out wide and we definitely need an option out wide however you know many people are, are against that one um, but I don't think there's any need to, to sort of Go around the table and talk any more about that one. We'll see if it materialises. But, you know, again, young, potentially talented player. I'm, I'm all up for that. And Nick, you mentioned Klein was was linked again. Uh, obviously, it's relatively well accepted. We looked at Klein in the summer before he got injured um, for a return. If, if he is indeed fit and ready to play football, an, in, an interesting one. You say never go back sometimes, but very good player, very experienced right back and would be a, a good member of the team if he's, if he's up to it now. I'll just say Sean Derry. Yeah, I say David Hopkin. It, you know, it doesn't always work, does it? When they, when they come back, sometimes it does. But, no. um, it, yeah, it'd be nice to see somebody from our youth system come back and finish their career with us. And he was a, a quality player. I mean, I, I still rate him above Wan-Bissaka, sort of over career-wise. Wan-Bissaka, we, we only saw at Palace for a season, but but it was nice to see one of our own go on to better things. Um, and he'll fit straight back into the club because he knows it, which is one good thing. But again, he's not quite as old as Ashley Young. Um, can he still cut it? Was he any good for Bournemouth when they played against us? I know um, Wilf made him look very, very silly, didn't he? Once the, the goal that Wilf scored after they, the Bournemouth fans accused Wilf of crying um, and then he scored that storming goal. I mean, yeah. Wilf left him in his wake. And if you've got players... Um, whose names I can't think of who played for Liverpool are very, very quick or Sterling or anybody like that. I mean, he'd have no chance against him, would he? Mm. Anyway, look, we've, we're spending more time on transfers than we meant to. So some, some quick uh, one-sentence answers for this for the outs that have been rumoured. Uh, Patrick, I'll start with you. Wickham is being linked to Sheffield Wednesday or Bristol City or Forest, but it looks like Sheffield Wednesday are the front runners there. Um, is that a good move? I prefer to keep him honest. But if he goes out, he goes got, out. Got to play some yeah, games. He needs isn't he? to play. Hopefully, he plays some, some games. But I understand why he'd go yeah. out. So, okay. And Nick Benteke links strongly to to Villa, and some rumor that he was also being offered to Spurs. Um, you think it's a, a good opportunity potentially to 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 move him on and see if that can resurrect his career? Yeah, my only bugbear with it is you know he'll score a hat full of goals whoever he goes to because they'll adapt their style for him. Um, Again, I'd quite like him to stay with us because although he hasn't been scoring the goals, he's been kind of a glue that holds the, the front line together a bit when he has been on. But it's just it's just the injuries that we keep getting. It's 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 baffling. So sure. we want somebody who's going to get injured a lot or, or do we try and get somebody in 
who isn't going to get injured and actually have a bit of stability up there or competition for places. If you're injured, you're not competition. All right, and obviously Zaha's being linked everywhere. Uh, we won't talk about that, but we will talk about uh, Zaha's performance a little bit later on. So it's time for us to move ahead and to talk about the Arsenal game itself. And I'm going to open with uh, a comment from Toby Brody on Twitter, uh, where he said, the first 30 minutes was the worst Premier League football I've seen from Palace since we were promoted. However, the second half was some of the best I've ever seen from Palace in the Premier League since we were promoted. What a roller coaster of a game. And there was also a, a further comment on Twitter that said the game turned after Arsenal didn't give the ball back uh, following a drop ball, which rolled up the team and the supporters. And, and I felt, you know, that's been observed there, that might have been a turning point. And I think that, that certainly helped up the tempo. But there's some more specific reasons that Roy talked about um, which turned the game. Before we get into that, it's time for for the first time in a long, long time, for a Hamblings Ramblings. Welcome to Hamblings Ramblings. It's been a while. Um, not that I haven't had things to ramble about, but, you know, it's, in terms of putting these things together, it can be a bit uh, arduous. So look, we, we're here, we're, we're Crystal Palace sitting high in the table, a great points total. But of course, there does seem to be one overriding consistency, some overriding slight problem that we have uh, with how we're actually performing, and I'd like to draw some attention to it, if I may. It does seem, perhaps, that Mr Hodgson thinks that matches only last 45 minutes, and Roy, they, they don't. They last a full 90 minutes, and you have to play like that, um, or potentially, by half-time, the game's gone outside. Everybody's angry. Um, so... You have to ask yourself, what would it be like if maybe some football fans took that approach? Maybe we all turn up at half-time um, and we all or sit there passively for the first half. We don't, you know, we, we queue loosely for hot dogs. <laughs> we take our time ordering our pints at the bar. We watch as, uh, as people move around us and don't react in any way, shape or form. I don't think that would go too well. So you have to wonder, why is it we're quite so passive on the pitch? Of course, the... You know, it wouldn't be so bad if we potentially tried to match the energy of the opposition. We tried to, to close down, put them under pressure, put some tackles in. But no, it's the pressure shape. We must return to the pressure shape at all times. The shape rules all. And what do the players do? The players have to play, you know, the way the manager says. But, you know, it, it's infuriating. As, as a fan, you feel like you're wasting your money watching the first half. You feel like there's no point because we're not competing. You feel like we're, all we want to do is get in at halftime, nil-nil, and then perhaps we'll try. And I don't really understand it. What does Roy say in those half-time team talks when the players walk in, they're 2-0 down, 1-0 down, whatever. Well done, boys. You've done exactly what I said you're going to do. Now the game really starts. You know, you've conserved your energy. You've let them practice. You've let them build confidence. And now we've got to try and fight our way back into the game. And, you know, hey, we, we do it quite a lot. So you can't criticise too much. But my God, it's infuriating. Imagine what it might be like, what we potentially could achieve. If we played for the full 90 minutes of a match. Imagine we had someone in charge who did that, who trusted the players, who trusted the youth, who used the bench. What could we possibly achieve? Oh, there's a possible argument that things might not be better. But you know what? I want to see it. I want to see Palace attack. I want to see them take the game to the opposition. I want to see them not give so much respect to our opponents. Don't treat Norwich like they're Barcelona. Don't watch Arsenal play football all around you. And above all, let's score some goals. 
Chris Sambling's got all ranty. Something's really wound him up. He's using lots of nutty words like bloody cripes and for Pete's sake. It's going to get quite heated. The air is turning blue. The refs have come. The players are. And guess what? So are you. He'll whine about the tactics, the substitutes and such. But please don't get him started on Jordan much. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So there we have it, gentlemen. There's a, a lovely rambling for you. Um, quite intense. That's that's the general idea of them. And not everything I've said is entirely backed up by logic. However, there is a point to be discussed, and I think it's probably the best part, best place. Sorry to start with the um, discussion about the Arsenal game. An absolutely terrible opening thirty minutes. Um, I, I was obviously I was watching the game at home and gave Sam and her, her dad my ticket. Well, Sam got Mike's ticket. I gave her dad my ticket for the game uh, due to the early start. I couldn't make it, but so I watched it at, at home, and it was so so tough to watch. And and the worst thing was that you didn't see us doing anything about it. You just saw Arsenal playing with the kind of freedom and pace that that they do at their best, um, you know, and they haven't been their best for quite some time. But obviously, you know, anyone who's watched Arsenal this season knows that there's a weakness in that team, certainly at the back, you know, and what you cannot do is let the the back line of Arsenal have all the time that they need. You can't just have one player trying to chase down the whole back four. You know, that midfield's got to come up. And interesting to, to hear Roy Hodgson after the game talk about the fact that it was the players themselves that adjusted on the pitch and how pleased he was. And I think that's something that's long overdue. And I actually said it before it happened. I said, I really, really hope that the players do something about this because if they carry on sticking to the shape and letting Arsenal play in between the lines, uh, we're going to get an absolute pasting here. And it it seems, you know, Roy um, mentioned MacArthur and McCarthy, who were, you know, were the players who instigated that. But they pushed much higher up, put pressure on Torreira in particular. But Kiate also moved further out to the right and gave protection down that flank where Kelly was having some trouble. And obviously Mayer was was drifting inside as he's, as he's inclined to do. So uh, it was very, very difficult to watch in those uh, opening 30 minutes for sure. Yeah, and that's my frustration. Uh, your ramblings at the end just nailed it. So I'm going to start with three quotes like, from players and the manager about the first like 20, 30 minutes. Gyro mentioned post-match that we lost the ball too quick and we didn't win challenges. Cahill pointed out that we changed the way we pressed and got the press right at the end, which helped to turn things around. And then the manager said, 
We successfully screened off Lacazette and Ozil off the ball early, but we're not able to stop Luis, Xhaka or Torreira from who ran the match early. And that's the thing. It was so frustrating to watch Chris and Nick because we just allowed Arsenal to play in a game where we're playing at home against a team. And you just said, Chris, defensively is very weak. And it was so frustrating to watch. And then, as you said again, then the player decided to change things up. I noticed again, we went from a 4-5-1 to a 4-3-3. We helped IU press. Kuyate pushed players higher up the field. You know, it, and it was just a different game. We realized what Luis was trying to do and we, got, you know, got him not making those long passes. But why can't we do that from the beginning? I am so sick and tired of us just respecting every single opponent we play instead of going out and saying, you know what, we're at home, we can play, we're a decent side, let's try and play. It's so hard to watch. I don't like to criticize a manager because I actually like Hodgson as a person. I really do. But as a manager, he frustrates me sometimes because I feel like we have to either fall behind and or play for that nil-nil at halftime for us to start playing in the second half. When, like that uh, uh, person who uh, who wrote in said, second half was brilliant to watch. It really was. But it's just frustrating to watch. I mean, we've got to start these games better because we can do better. And that's all I want Pets to do is just do better. And it frustrates me when we don't. For sure. And I think... When the sort of evidence in front of you, and this is where you struggle, because you can always argue that, you know, Arsenal were a very good team technically. It would be very difficult for us to completely stop them throughout every single game. And of course, every team in every game of football has good spells and bad spells. That's just pretty much how it works. You know, even the very, very best teams have spells and games where, for whatever reason, they struggle. I think, again, if you look at some of the words that Hodgson was using after the game, there's a little bit of an insight in there. And Perhaps there's an argument to say that the players need to do needed to do more game management in the past to, to kind of adjust because Roy talked about setting the team up to what you expect um, against you know against the opposition and sort of hinted that sometimes what the opposition do surprises you and you need to react and I think I don't know if there was perhaps a little a little window into into the discussions that have happened and and the sort of analysis that they do at the club where they have noted that we are slow to react to something that we didn't expect so you can certainly point to the the management team's preparation there but i say it's very difficult to prepare the team 100 accurately for everything that they're going to face but where it becomes a problem is you know we we as supporters often see it very very simply you know in terms of attack and defense so when we see the team play more on the front foot an attack and actually have a proper impact on the game, like we did against Arsenal. The second we got our confidence up, restricted them and started playing some football, we were the better side. There's no doubt whatsoever about that. Even before the red card, we were the better team. You know, they creaked and they lost confidence. And you just think, well, if you started a game like that, imagine what you could potentially achieve. And there's no way you can not think that, even if the answer in reality, might have been if we started the game like that, they might have caught us on the break three times and we might be 3-0 down at half-time. We can't possibly ever know that. But what appears to be the evidence in front of our eyes would suggest we are better trying to take control of these games. Yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head, especially against Arsenal, when they're, they're nervy. They are, you know, they're not having a very good season and you do want to put the willies up them. Um, it was difficult for Kelly at the start because um, Aubameyang was out out wide on the Arsenal left and Kelly was so far in field um, and Maya not back supporting him. So it that was frustrating to watch. But if we start like that next week against Man City, we're going to get absolutely mullered. And we've only done well against Man City when we try and take the game to them. So it, it, it's going to be a tricky one to balance. Um, I'm not sure how much having um, 
Luca out would have affected our confidence at the beginning. But look at last week's game against Derby, where I thought we were going to absolutely muller them because of the way we started in the um, first 10 minutes. Uh, Pierrick was the one that was actually seemed to give the rest of the team confidence with his little runs and his own confidence on the ball. It, we need somebody to pick up the game from the start and say, come on then, let's go. Um, the fact that Tompkins was captain, I don't know whether he G'd up the rest of the team enough. I was surprised it wasn't Cahill as captain. But it was. we just seemed a little bit unsure and it was like a knife through butter, Arsenal getting through to us. And the, the longer we played like that, the more confident Arsenal seemed to get. And it wasn't until we, somebody said that dropped ball and we actually started getting angry and fed up that we actually showed a little bit of passion and were less passive. Mm. Well, it's that overused word, and I use it too much as well, but intensity. You know, you want your team at the very least to sort of match the intensity of the opposition. And sometimes when you're a very organised, structured team, that kind of goes out the window. Um, but look, I think we, we've touched on the key points there of what we're talking about over, you know, a number of games rather than this specific game. But I think this this highlighted it um, quite quite intensely um if i might use that word again because yeah again it was it was like a microcosm of the season in that respect i was you know i was i was encouraged at the way we came back into it though so i don't want to dwell on on the negative of that i think you know is it potentially you're talking about a turning point in the game you might be talking about a turning point in the season where the players you know really realize the impact of what they do on the pitch and getting together and actually reacting to, to what's going on in front of them. I'm not saying they haven't tried to do that in the past, but it was decisive. They recognised what the problem was and they and they dealt with it. And I did like to see that. Uh, so a lot of encouragement there. And I guess the other point to make really in defence of, of the management team is perhaps we've got to focus a little bit more on giving Roy the, the players that will give him confidence to do that more. You know, Roy has in, in plenty of times in the past has talked about loving the sort of the attacking move and movement of football. You know, and he called it balletic in, in one particular quote I saw earlier on. So he clearly loves that side of the game, but I don't believe he currently has the belief and confidence in the players to play that way. He has absolute belief and confidence in the players to play a kind of structured, organised, um, and at some points relatively cynical style of football so we've got perhaps got to back him enough for him to believe that there are, there is a different way of playing and that you know with the right people in the right places the squad are capable of much more because you know we're in a really good position but for the next the second half of the season if we can just turn that dial up and start trying to dominate games you know we could do really really well here and on the flip side if we don't we're not that far away from the, the relegation zone We've got some tough games coming up. You know, I looked at the fixtures the other day and I think you look at the next eight games, part of me thinks we've really got to get to 40 points in the next eight games. Otherwise, we could have a really nervous end to the season. And I don't want to be thinking that way. I want to be thinking much brighter and more cheerful than that. It's Yeah, I mean, we're, we're getting a reputation for being very, very slow starters. So it will take a team by surprise if we do come out of the blocks really quickly. They won't be expecting it at all. And we could use that to our advantage. Absolutely right. So look, this is a little, little bit of a nod towards the lineup. Obviously, Guaita came back in after the um, the cup game. Um, you know, Tompkins and Cahill are centre backs. Kelly right back. Reed avowed left back, and we'll talk about Gyro in a little bit. Uh, May again starting it. Let's face it, out of position on the right hand side. Um, Coyote, MacArthur, and McCarthy in the centre in the absence of Luca, with Zaha on the left and Jordan Ayew leading the line. 
Uh, still a bit of a young-looking bench, which you know really does point to the fact that we are struggling for, for fully fit players um, with Pierre, Kirby and Woods on the bench. Unfortunately, none of them got on for some minutes, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, also, Wickham and Tosin on the bench with Hennessy and Dan as well. Uh, Tosin, the only substitute used in there, um, which perhaps, again, is a little bit disappointing in some senses. You kind of think once the... Um, you know, once the sending off happens, you know, obviously we, we brought Tosin on for Mayo, which you could argue is a, a pretty good attacking substitution. But at the same time, we didn't change the system. We didn't try and get an extra man further forward. And, and we didn't try and do that at any other point. So as much as it was a strong performance to, to finish the game, and perhaps we should have won, you know, again, maybe a change there, maybe chucking on Pierrick, maybe chucking on Wickham as well and going 4-4-2. I'm not sure. Maybe there's a there's something that could have been done there. So again, perhaps something to look at, at the you know the management team and ask why we're not taking those risks. But I suppose on the flip side, we could have lost the game as well. Um, so before we start talking a bit about getting into the goals and um, some of the sort of tactical stuff, I want to talk, Patrick, about something. I'm not sure if that's you that's raised that or or Nick, but uh, it's certainly something that I wanted to talk about, the, the cynicism of Arsenal and the way they played the game. Um, very early on, there was a lot of failing injury, Kolasinic in particular, rolling around for no good reason. But lots of sort of late challenges, lots of niggly fouls, um, and a huge amount of time wasting towards the end. I was sort of a bit disappointed in them in some respects. Yeah, um, that's Arsenal. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, is, it is disappointing, but to me, that's Arsenal. I have, and I tweeted out yesterday, I have, I have not seen a, as bad an Arsenal team since the 1980s. They just, they have come a long way and it's just why I was disappointed in only getting two points off of them this season. But the cynicism isn't right. It, 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 it was throughout the match. I've seen it from them before uh, against us. It's frustrating to see uh, the, the, it comes from their fan base also. I mean, the fact that a lot of them had the nerve to actually uh, complain about the red card. If you watch it just one time, I, I've only watched it once. I can't tell my head. It's, it's so, it's, it's it's all awful to look at with uh thank god he didn't break his ankle with Maya. But um and then the Louise at the end with the time wasting people. I mean, they're just and then we you know they got fouled, they're falling on the floor, not getting up because they have ten men. It's there it was awful to watch. I mean, again, you turn that around, you make that us and we're the we're the worst club in the league, get Palace out of the league, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It was awful to watch. I mean, it it really is amazing a club with such reputation with a a really big club in, in this in, in England. Has to resort to that against against us. It, it was it was awful to watch. I hated to watch it. I really did. There was one moment I think Arsenal deserved to kind of stop play a bit, and that was when two of their players clashed heads in their own penalty area. That was the only time. The other time it was just so time wasting. As a paying punter, you don't want to see that. And do the Arsenal fans want to see that? Really? And it's not a very good advert for English football. The who was the guy who picked up the ball and carried it? And nothing happened. Why aren't yeah. the refs stamping down on that? Why, you know, when um, Obama Yang was sent off, players were crowding around him. A couple of players had their hands all over him. Isn't that a book of bull offence? So a lot of that is down to the officials as well, not actually stamping their own authority on the game. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it was Louise who did that. And it was interesting once the ruck started that he ran away as well, <laughs> which um, I think probably yeah. sums him up. <laughs> um, but Roy picked up after the game as well. He said, um, that early on Pepe got away with a bit of stamp on MacArthur as well, which he did. You know, he left his foot in quite nastily as well. Um, you don't really like to see it. You sort of prefer, you know, Arsenal teams of old, it was all about football, wasn't it? But you've got to have that edge. And, I, you know, we, I suppose at times we like people having, 
you know, our players having that edge. And at times it's been missing for us. And a bit of criticism has come the way of, of the team, you know, not necessarily going straight in for the tackles and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it is part of the game, but it was it was really hard to watch. I can't blame them. It's just weird to see an Arsenal team killing so much time. If you added up the time for their throw-ins, I think I, I reckon it was about 15 minutes added on time for just how long they were taking over them. You know, the whole thing of walking up the line, the referee sending them back and then taking one step back. It was just awful to watch them. Um, but there you go, I suppose, in a, in, a, in a weird way, you can kind of take it as a compliment. Um, I don't want to spend too much more time talking talking through the game. We do, do have to cover the goals and a couple more clear incidents as well. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about the, the sort of average positions again, but I, I'll, I'll just really highlight one thing that Riedervald was was quite well pushed up, um, which allowed Wilf to get up. But I think one of the things that the sort of average positions of the team show that Wilf was very isolated out on the Palace left um, at, at, for, for large parts of the game. You know, are you had sort of drifted more over to the right of the pitch and the midfield weren't getting that far forward to support him. So, you know, we'll talk about his performance and, and what people have read into it. But I think, you know, for me, the key thing to sort of note from our positions is that, you know, we, we made it quite easy for Arsenal to be able to sort of double and triple up on Wilf and prevent us getting the ball to him, which I, I found disappointing. Yeah. And with this Wilf thing, that every time, you know, transfer comes around, you know, people talk about he got a new agent, he wants to leave, he's got that attitude. People watch the games and watch what happens to him when they play. He gets triple team because you said it every time he gets the ball, every single time. What do you want him to do? Exactly. Yeah, we know he can get out of that. We've seen it before. But you know, if you watch the matches, I've never. It amuses me every time he gets the ball. I see a player come and then a third player come to to, to mark him. So he's either got you know, and people want to criticize his performances. I just don't. I it frustrates me. It really does because if you watch the matches. When he ever does anything at all, it's amazing because he's he's so marked out of the game every time. Because teams know our best players, Wolf Zaha, stop Wolf Zaha, you stop Crystal Palace. He seemed very reticent to take people on in that first half. Was that just me, or or did you both notice that as well? Normally he'd get the ball and he'd go for a run, but every time he got it, he just played it back to Gyro every think, single time. I think people have picked up on that, and I'll just say a couple of things about it. You know, seeing as we're, we're talking about it now, I think people think that oh, I mean, a, a happy and motivated and informed Wilfred Zaha is going to beat three players every time he gets the ball. And, you know, he's kind of made that rod for his own back in a sense. But, you know, play, teams play him differently than they used to. So we, we can't expect the the performance every week from Wilf of, of taking on three people and beating them every time. You know, the key thing that every manager says when talking about Wilfred Zaha playing for Palace is that you can't let him get one-on-ones. And Arsenal didn't. So when you say he didn't take players on, you're absolutely right because Arsenal were very well structured to stop it being a one-on-one scenario. So, you know, he was looking at the game and thinking, well, for me to take the player on, I've got to actually take on two or three players. So probably the chances are I'm not going to beat them because the chances are you're not going to beat three players every time. So the better thing to do is retain possession because we're giving it away a lot. So I'd say that's one big factor. You know, I will completely acknowledge that I think he was below par. I think he got frustrated. I've heard some suggestions that he responded badly to some shouts from the uh, from the main stand as well. So, you know, I do think there's something, there was something more in that game that was affecting him being at his best. But like Patrick suggesting, I think sometimes you actually have to watch the game and watch what's happening to, to really understand. And, you know, that expectation of Wilf will always be there from Palace fans. And, and sometimes through no fault of anyone's, he's not going to be able to, to meet that expectation. 
completely agree, but he, he just didn't seem to want to. And, and what didn't help and has been a problem for us, looking at us and looking at other teams we've played against, is other players' movement off the ball. And you talked about Roy wanting the rigid formation, but we just don't seem to offer those options. So when Wilf was playing the ball back to Gyro, the Wilf wasn't able to get forward because there wasn't a ball for Gyro to play to somebody else to play back to Wilf, if that makes sense. So we, we just seemed a bit too static. And if we can move more than than we have been, then that will free up Wilf a bit more. But yesterday, the, the tactic of give the ball to Wilf and hope for the best just wasn't going to work because Wilf had a bad day at the office, which, you know, we're not going to say he's got to be brilliant every week, but it just kind of exposes us as to how one-dimensional we can be if he's not on his game. Yeah, you've you've touched on um, a really good point around passing options that I was I was talking about on Twitter yesterday with a few people, uh, and I think that's again something that we sometimes forget. We you know a lot of people will very quickly look at the performance in the first thirty minutes, and quite rightly say, "Oh God, our, our passing's not great. We're giving the ball away so much." But you know, it's, I'm not teaching people to suck eggs, but obviously it does take two people to make a pass. You know, the, the person who's who's in possession of the ball needs options. And I think no one suffered more than on, on that than Gyro Riedeveld at times because, you know, a tremendous performance from Gyro, which we'll talk about in a bit. But, you know, very early on, you know, and I talked off the game about, I think, he, you know, if he sharpened up just a touch, he'd be incredible. But early on, a lot of the passes that he, he wanted to make when he had possession, and he's so calm in possession, but he looked up and there was nothing there. So he was trying to make these sort of flipped, intricate passes, just giving the ball away a lot. And that happened all across the pitch. But because people, it's very difficult when you are focusing so much out of possession into into the, the structure and the setup. It's very difficult to suddenly break and be able to offer the person in possession loads of options to pass when your opponent is pressing you. And that's where we really do struggle. If we're pressed and we're not having a lot of the ball, it's very, very difficult for us to make our passes and people get frustrated and, and, and the team get frustrated, the fans get frustrated, uh, and it really does seem very disjointed. And, you know, again, credit to the, the team in this particular game for turning that around and suddenly, you know, pressing Arsenal and opening up more options for passes because it made us so much of a better team. I get the impression that we're not doing any two-touch training games. Do you know what I mean? Where you've where you, where you got to trap and pass, trap and pass. We don't seem, we seem to have lost the ability to do that. And, you know, having seen lots of kids' football and kids' football training, that's, that's what they really drill in and that's how they get the movement. I, I don't think we're doing that in training, are we? Um, hopefully we will be, but just that pass and move, pass and move, it's just not happening. And, and for a, a top-level team, that's poor. I want to add... Uh... Nick and Chris, because you make good points there about Gyro and the, and the whole training thing, Nick. But I, I, having um, Gyro behind Wolf is different because he had PVA behind him before, and Gyro is a much better passer than PVA is or probably will ever be. And I know, did notice he mentioned in the post match also he was able to put some passes forward for both Jordan and Wolf to run onto. So that might actually have been a tactic for us to go back to Gyro so Gyro could look for where the are you making runs up front because Gyro, if you notice, Chris points out, is an excellent passer. So that might have been a tactical thing yesterday. Mm, for sure. All right. So very quickly, let's uh, talk about the goals. Um, I don't know if we want too much discussion in it, but so obviously we've talked about how Palace very early on couldn't get near the ball, and you just kind of knew it was coming. So you know the midfield is very much standing off and really exposed in the goal because you know David Luiz was allowed to sort of stroll out from the back line into midfield. No one closing him down. No one looking for him to you know, to put him under any pressure at all. 
and he was just allowed that freedom of the pitch to pick out the pass to Ertzil. We were, yes, we were trying to get tight on Ertzil, but you know he's got the quality to play a one-touch pass like he did into Lacazette. And his time through ball was excellent into the run of Aubameyang. And obviously, we talked about Kelly. He was unable to to track the run of Aubameyang. You know, he kind of got caught between the fact that Aubameyang was playing out wide um, and the fact that he was moving to an area we would expect Tompkins to pick it up. But of course, Tompkins and Cahill at the time had gone to meet Ertzil and Lacazette. So it was just, it, it looked an easy goal. You can see how it came about and you can see how it was probably very difficult to stop um, but the the mistakes came long before that final pass. The mistakes came in in letting them letting Arsenal just play how they wanted to play in a, in a confident manner. Very easy finish for a man who scores lots of goals, and you know we, it looked bad for us at the moment at that time. Um, but moving on to to our goal once we'd got back into the game, and we had a second early in the second half free kick out on the right hand side, um, and McCarthy not great from his delivery all game. Let's just say that. Um, but this time he actually, you know, they, they expected a long ball into the box. All the defenders had gone up and Coyote had gone into the middle and they're all waiting for that. But Mayer's completely free down the line and, you know, good good vision from McCarthy to pick him out. Uh, Mayer's got time to pick out a cross. And it's it's an interesting cross because he doesn't sort of whip it in for the big men in the box. Plays it low, um, not particularly hard either. And Coyote's anticipated brilliantly. Um, picked it up and rather than kind of do the thing that you, you would expect him to do was probably swing a leg and try and smack it into the goal because um, it would, probably would have been blocked. Knocks it to the Ghanaian Messi and I've put in my notes, should he actually be the Ghanaian Pele given that his dad is a Bide Pele? Not sure. I'll have a think about that. But um, yeah, a bit of fortune with the shot in a way, but you know, if you take the shot, you've got, you've got a chance of scoring and he did and you've got to say hugely deserved at that moment. The increase in quality, the increase in effort from Palace, absolutely richly deserved so um, those are the two goals for you there um, and Patrick you popped in some Jordan Ayew statistics yeah um, this first one's for Nick uh, he's the first Palace player to score home and away versus Arsenal since 1972 and that player's name was John Craven have you seen play live Nick I have I don't remember John Craven playing uh, really I, I first went in 76, but I, I was going around saying, yeah, that's the first time a Palace player has ever scored home and away against Arsenal, forgetting that the whole of the media <laughs> just forgets that the Premier, you know, football existed before the Premier League. And that's, I, I was surprised. Premier League 1992, we're nearly 30 years into it. It's madness, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and that, I'm assuming it's not the same John Craven that uh, presented news around. No. I deliberately didn't say that, Chris. I know. Deliberately didn't. And I was annoyed you didn't. (laughs) And then the other stat, which is interesting, is that Jordan I has actually scored 21 of his 22 Premier League goals in the second half. The only goal they've scored in the first half was this year versus Man United. So he's a clutch player. As you said, he is definitely the Ghanaian Pele, not the Ghanaian Messi, as his dad's name was Abidi Pele. If we get better in the second half, imagine how good we'd be if we were half decent in the first half. Because most of our goals are second half. How many have we scored in the first half? Not many. No, it's, uh, Not at all. it's, it's uh, and from open play, I think it's even less. So um, there you go. That's plenty to work on there. Um, so we've got to talk about uh, Vicente Guaita's save at the end um, from, from Pepe. At first glance, you don't even see the touch. Um, but I think there's a great angle from behind the post of what a phenomenal save that is. And let's not forget there was a, a follow-up save as well. The ball's come back off the post, actually hit him, but he's managed to react as it was hitting him the sort of arm slash head and get down to, to pick it up at Lacazette's feet as well. Um, just what a goalkeeper, Patrick. 
I I don't know what to say. <laughs> I I'm I know I I'm I am so I am so thrilled to have this man in the, in the net. So you know in my history of our goalkeepers in the past, loving Julian, not loving the guy after came after Julian, but he's been absolutely fantastic. And that save, Chris, was is brilliant. It's going to be the save I remember most by him in his past career, unless he does something more spectacular. But it, the 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 Pepe part is brilliant, and you're right, you don't even know he does that. So, but the save at Lacazette's feet from that close to react because that's the thing about him, he has tremendous reactionary skills, which is you need as a goalkeeper. His reactions are. A brilliant a lovely save that he makes is because he's so he's like, I'm gonna use that stupid cliche he's cat-like and that save was so brilliant and again we've talked about Chris in the past he has he has earned us so many points that people just don't realize take it for granted and that's what you need to be a ninth place team when we're you know we scored x you know whatever 20 something goals all year 20 goals I believe this year he's been absolutely brilliant I actually love Vicente Guaita the unflinching bravery of that second of the two saves there was Unbelievable. What's really pleased me over the weekend and, and the last week is he's been, li- he, you know, he's good because he's been linked to other teams, Man City, for instance. But despite all that, he has said that he is really happy in South London. And, and it wouldn't surprise me to see him with us for a fair few seasons. I think he gets us. I yeah, really and he, do. And he actually said, you know, a lot more years would be good, um, which I'm taking to mean that he wants to stay with us forever and he's more than welcome to. Um, you know, I want to talk, talk about him just a little bit in terms of comparison to, to other goalkeepers. Lots of people talking in some superlative terms. You know, J- Julian Speroni is, is a club legend. But to me, he's he's like, I hate to say upgrade on Julian, but I guess he probably is in terms of the fact that we're talking about playing at a higher level than Julian spent most of his career with Palace. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I just mean certainly that he has that same sort of, you know, the strength he has is in shot stopping and reacting, you know, but he has got that added aerial prowess as well. You know, he's a he's a really good all-round keeper and I suppose probably more relevant to the modern game. He's also very, very comfortable receiving the ball at his feet and generally makes the right decisions in, in whether to punt it out of play or, or knock it up the pitch or, or play it short. You know, just everything that he does is incredible, incredibly high quality and, and shows the intelligence that he has as a footballer as well. So brilliant keeper. And what a difference that makes to the back four when they are comfortable passing back to him. You know, you wouldn't see them playing along the back four and then thinking, oh, let's pass it back to the head. Um, I will say that Vicente is our best keeper since Nigel Martin, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah, can't argue that. And the last thing I say is uh, that people know but may not realise Think about the back fours he's played with this year. It must have changed 10 to 12 times the back four, yet he still performed really well, which is, again, credit to... Obviously, the back four defers a credit, but he deserves a lot of credit for the fact he's done well, despite the fact that his people in front of him have been different each time. Well, not each time, but a lot of the time. Yeah, for sure. No, we're running a little bit long here. So um, the red card, I'll just say my bit, and we'll, we'll move on to discuss the last points of the match. Um, clearly a red card. Bizarre that people are questioning it. You know, and the people who are questioning it are obviously they're Arsenal fans plus Danny Murphy, really. Um, and and the, the consensus seems to be, he's not that type of player. It wasn't intentional. It doesn't matter. Still a red card, isn't it? You know, and it's, it's worse than a lot of tackles that we've seen not punished quite as severely as well. Um, I think it's it's a terrible forwards challenge. It's, it's really harsh on Max Mayer, who was really growing into that game. 
um, and who desperately needs a run of games in the side to see if he, you know, he can reach the levels that we want to see from him and expect to see from him. But you know, obviously, the hugely annoying part was just how long it took to actually make the decision. We'll talk about VAR towards the end of the show um, in a few moments, but it just took way, way, way too long to to deal with it. But um, so moving on from that, um, I got the question in there: Did we miss Luca? We sort of touched on it. I think we did. We did miss his organisation uh, and the fact that he generally does the screening job on his own when it when we started the game with two players doing that job. So I think that did affect us and, and the way we started the game. Uh, we'll see how it pans out in the next two games, but I think you know those people who are seemingly delighted that we've you know that Luca's out for three games. Um, I think will probably not be so happy come the end of those three games, in my opinion. Um, couple of we've got plenty of performances I wanted to discuss. We've take we've talked Zaha. Um, we won't get into time to talk about Mayer and McCarthy in any more detail than we have. Um, Jordan Ayew's had lots of attention. Tremendous game from him. But let's talk very very briefly, um, gents, about Jairo Riedervald. Um, Roy, very interestingly, talking after the game, saying he asked him if he, you know, a while ago, if he wanted to play left back, and Gyro had suggested he didn't feel that that was a job that he could do. I assume that he meant he could do on a regular basis because, you know, he has played there before. But it's it's like a new signing at left back, and and people quite rightly saying, well, does PVA get back in the team? Because, you know, we're looking at a player who is so much now he's up to speed. He's got pace. Um, his calmness on the ball is fantastic. His range of passing is brilliant. His skill, you know, the little, <laughs> the little drag away and spin um, when under pressure during the game was absolutely superb. He, you know, he's starting to lift people. They're seeing, you know, something that we've been waiting for, for over a couple, you know, more than two years. You know, a pl- that player to get the opportunity and for him to take that opportunity. Um, Roy seemed delighted that he had done, which is a great thing to see as well. Lots of talk about how his professionalism when not in the team has been, you know, second to none. Uh, and potentially, you know, throughout the rest of this season, we could see him emerge as a as a real Palace hero and and you know a player to stick around longer. Yeah, it's frustrating for me that he didn't get a chance before because if you think about it, against the Man City season half ago he actually played very well and that's been my frustration with Hodgson for quite a bit is that it's taken again an injury to a, a, a fullback to decide to put someone else in there and, and then realize oh wow he actually can play and that's you know that's why I think our squad is is underused and underutilized and uh it's a shame but I, I've actually loved him I love his attitude if you listen to his interviews and I've did it, I've done it quite a bit he's very very quiet He's a he's like a really just a quiet, shy person. But again, as you said, Chris, he's never let himself down in training, according to the manager. He's just tried to do what he can. I, I am sure left back is not his preferred position, but I'll tell you right now, I won't mind seeing him there for the rest of the season because I absolutely love his composure on the ball. He's an Ajax bred player, you can tell. The passing, the skill level is is, is there. And I would, I'm just very happy for him. I just wish that players like him, whether they be younger or whatever, in our squad would get a chance because you give them the chance, I think they can perform if you give them the confidence also. So good for Gyro, man of the match. Yeah, you, you kind of made the Ajax point I was going to make there. He was part of a, a very good Ajax team. I'm not sure I'd keep him at left back, although there was a clip I saw on Twitter of him stopping a player dead in his tracks, taking the ball, doing a roulette and then releasing the ball. If we could have him in a different position doing that with PVA going back to that left back position, yeah, I, I don't think left back is going to be his best position. I, I wouldn't play him there. Well, yeah, I mean he's certainly regarded um, as a as a central midfielder, and 
you know, with injuries as they are and form as they are and, you know, McCarthy being linked with a move back north, that kind of stuff, there could be opportunities there for him as well. And it'd be interesting to see if he takes those. But very, very welcome to see a, a player sort of emerge from nowhere um, and, and perform to that level. Um, and we just, you just love to see it, don't you? Anyway, it's like a new signing. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, that'll do for the discussion for the game. Um, we're going to have... A little bit of an interlude now, a little bit of uh, levity from all the kind of detailed tactical analysis and discussions of that. Um, I'm going to play a little game. So it's going to be Patrick versus Nick. Uh, I'm calling it Who Said This? Um, There's probably a better, more witty title than that. So in our most recent Premier League era, Palace have been managed by the following managers. Ian Holloway, Tony Pulis, Neil Warnock, Alan Pardew, Sam Allardyce, Frank De Boer, and Roy Hodgson. So in the following quiz, you're going to be given a quotation, and it's not necessarily from their time at Palace, and there's going to be a choice of four managers that this might be from, as I ask you, who said this? It's not whom, is it? It's who, right? Anyway, not to worry. (laughs) (laughs) Answers on a postcard. (laughs) You're a teacher, Nick. Come on, mate. Actually, you're both teachers, sort of. We're gonna let you. We're gonna let you struggle. Um, So anyway, um, you guys ready? I'm gonna line up the first quote for you right now. So I'm gonna give you the quote, and then I'm gonna give you the four choices, and I'm gonna start. I mean, I suppose there's a potential advantage to starting, but we'll alternate um, who gets to answer first. And Patrick, I'm going to start with you for the first one. So you're going to give the first answer. Nick will give his, and I'll tell you if you're right. A point for a right answer, nothing for a wrong answer, obviously. We'll see who wins at the end. Quote number one. The quote is, and I'm not going to do any accents. <laughs> you'll be pleased to know because it will give, oh, give the exactly answer away as well if I do way. try and do the accent. Well, I could do the different accent than the actual answer. Anyway, no. You haven't, the only reason you can't do the accent is you haven't got Dougie on that list and that was the only one you could do properly really truth be told uh, um, there'll be there'll be accents coming up I'm telling you I'm going to be trying to inject a bit more fun into this show over the next uh, few months and that's almost certainly going to include terrible impressions of, uh, of Palace personalities right quote number one I've got nothing against foreign managers they're very nice people apart from Arsene Wenger so your choices are Sam Allardyce Frank De Boer Ian Holloway Tony Pulis. Patrick, what's your answer? Uh, Sam Allardyce. You've gone with Sam Allardyce. Nicholas? Well, he's not going to be Frank de Boer, is it? Because he's not going to say he's like foreign man. Good one, Nick. I'm going to go, just to be different, I'm going to go with Ian Holloway. Okay, well, you're both incorrect. The answer is Tony Pulis. I never so liked him, by the way. Zero, zero. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Um, some of these quotes are quite functional. Some of them are breathtaking. And this very much comes into the second category. So quote number two. I squeezed into some very tight black pants and nailed the moonwalk. I've even dressed up as Cheryl Cole. So <laughs> your options are Neil Warnock, Sam Allardyce, Ian Holloway and Roy Hodgson. And Nick, you go first this time. I. Love it to be Roy Hodgson, but it's not. <laughs> I'm going to go with Ian Holloway again. Maybe if I say Ian Holloway every time, one of them would be right. <laughs> no, I'll go with Ian. All right, Patrick? I thought that to be different. No, I'm going to go with Neil Warnock. 
Oh, wow, that's a hell of an image. Uh, but the answer is nil-nil still because the answer is actually Sam Allardyce, <laughs> and that is a picture. Just to just, oh. go through that, just go through that quote again. Uh, I squeezed into some very tight black pants and nailed the moonwalk. I've even dressed up as Cheryl Cole. Sam Allardyce said that. There you go. Right, so still, nil, <laughs> we're nil. poised at nil-nil here. And, um, okay, so quote number three. If you don't want to struggle against relegation, the home games are very important. We have to get more points in Salhurst Park with the Fanatic fans behind us. It's possible. And your choices are Sam Allardyce, Tony Pulis, Frank Burr, and Roy Hodgson. Okay, so Patrick it's, it's my turn. This is the funny part about that quote, right? Three of them were on our were managers when we were in relegation, obviously. So I'm, I'm eliminating DeBoer, obviously. He wasn't around. So I've got three choices. So I could just pick one of the three because anyone could have said it. I'm going to go with Pulis. I'm going with Pulis. Yeah. So, um, so what are your thoughts then, Nick? That's who I was going to go for as well. But just to make it competitive, right. I'm actually going to... Say Frank de Boer. Well, we do have a correct answer. The boy, isn't it? And it's Frank de Boer. It. Yes. You know what? That is an excellent question, by the way, because my logic makes sense. But you know what? You threw that in there. That is brilliant, Chris. Well played. Well played, Nick. I did pick that one um, to give a yeah. little. Um, I, you know, that Very was my good. my one that would uh, would be a challenge. And I have to say, it came in pre-season. I was going to say, so you think about relegation movie. That's why I didn't like that guy either, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 1-0 to Negative Nick percent. after, that's after be- three quotes, be- right? Before you move on, what do we win? Yeah, I'll come back to you. <laughs> All right. uh, a goodbye mug. <laughs> you can join the queue of people <laughs> I haven't sent that to. Um, it's been four years, I think. Four, four years. years. Yeah. Um, I've been on the show since then. <laughs> <laughs> right, so quote number four. After the game, we were we were walking off the pitch. We've just won two one. The refs given us a goal that was blatantly offside, so I'm absolutely elated. Neil Warnock, the Sheffield United manager, is going ballistic. Anyhow, I'm shouting at Neil as we walk off. I've always supported you, but now I see I was wrong. Everybody else in football is right. You're a twat. So the choices you have there are Sam Allardyce, Tony Pulis, Ian Holloway, and Alan Pardew. My turn, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with um, Pards. I was two, so I won't, obviously, because I can't come back if I pick the same person. So who are the other three choices? I'm sorry, you said Pardew. Uh, Allardyce, Pulis, and Holloway. Oh, Pulis again. Uh, both incorrect. It was Ian Holloway. <laughs> he called He called him a twat. Did he really? Yeah, he called him all like a twat. Yeah. Yeah. I love that again. <laughs> I don't care about the score. I just love the quote. Seriously, they're brilliant. They really are good. This is awesome game. Keep going, please. <laughs> I want to see them on a panel show together now after hearing that. You know, exactly. an evening with. <laughs> there you go. Nice short quote for uh, number five. Um, I think increasingly people would define success as staying in the league being a stable Premier League club that treats its fans to good football every year. So your choices there are Alan Pardew, Sam Allardyce, Tony Pulis and Roy Hodgson. Yeah, you know, the only person with a big enough ego to talk about good football would be Alan Pardew. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Pardew for sure. You're going with Pardew? I'll go with Roy. Nick, it's 2-0 up. It was Roy he Hodgson. talks about good football. <laughs> yeah. you I've just nailed the reason I the reason I chose that quote was specifically exactly. for you. 
Oh my gosh! <laughs> I have to tell you, Chris, you're doing a great job. You are you are throwing out these these red herrings every time. You got me every time. Well, uncharacteristically, I did a huge <laughs> amount of preparation <laughs> for the show, and I really did think about this one. Yeah. Um, so, quote number six. This it's the penultimate quotation. So you can yeah, come draw, back and yeah. draw, Patrick. Uh, but Nick is currently two 0 up. So the quote is this, and it's um, an interesting one. I don't like people who drain my time and energy. If you've seen the Harry Potter films, we use the term dementors, people who can draw the life out of you in terms of your energy. So we eradicate the dementors, encourage the positive people, and that spreads around to create the team spirit that we have here. And that came from either Ian Holloway, Alan Pardew, Sam Allardyce, or Tony Pulis. I think that's got to be uh, Ian Holloway. Yeah, I was. Uh, it's not Pewdie. He doesn't read Harry Potter, so no chance. How do you know? No uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pick Holloway too, so I'll go with you. Allardyce was the first choice, right? Sam Allardyce was the first choice. You got uh, Pardew, Allardyce, or Pulis if you're not yeah, taking I'll take Holloway. Allardyce. Well, there we go. We know who's going to win because that is wrong for both of you. That was Alan Pardew. <laughs> he and his read Harry Potter. Potter. Wow, I didn't know I could even read it. I suspect at best. Yeah, I was going to say, I suspect at best. Right, yeah, we watched the movie. All the films. Yeah. So, yeah, it. yeah. In fact, he does say films. It was in the oh, quote. Did I say then films, that makes it? more sense. He can't read for anything. Anyway, never mind. Well done, Nick. Congratulations. There you go. Thank you. So the final one, we'll, we'll play it anyway since I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I, you know, I, my gut feeling is this one is uh, is potentially a freebie because uh, it gives you some some context as well as you just hear it coming out of the person's mouth. So, the quote is this: One of the press guys told me uh, this morning that on Delaney's Instagram he'd agreed to sign a new contract. So somebody at the club will tell me eventually. Unfortunately, Damien can't tweet me, so no doubt he'll let me know. It's good news if it's true. And that came from either Neil Warnock, Frank DeBurr, Sam Allardyce, or Tony Pulis. I'm going to go with um, Acorn Winkle, Neil Warnock. Okay. Patrick? We did talk about tweeting. Pulis. I'll go with Tony Pulis. Well, it was 3-0. <laughs> there you go. Warnock it was. Um Devastating, considering you revised, Patrick. Absolutely devastating. You revised? Right, right. So, so interest of fair play. So the game's idea, to do a game was Chris's idea, so everyone knows that. But I came up with the idea for the game, thinking that I'm so bad at games, I'll do a game that I can actually do some research on. So I actually went online, looked up quotes, and it helped me not at all. But I'm not a sore loser. Nick, great job, Chris. Great hosting. said this anyway we we must talk uh, just before we end the show very very quickly about the protests at the game uh, against VAR um, so I'll get some opinions from you from you both and I'm not really talking about VAR in general here we've all had our uh, our opinions that we've said on the show or on social media or, or whatever and you know I think we'll be repeating ourselves a bit but the fact that um, or particularly the HF but, um, but you know fans up and down the country have now organised themselves to a point of protest. Um, I think is is a, a something worth discussing. I'll, I'll hold my views for the time being. And uh, Nick, I know it's a subject you're passionate about. What do you think about the the protests? Well, I must say that I've. 
been against it from the beginning. I feel vindicated. Um, the HF are getting a bit of stick because some Palace fans were actually singing for VAR when the red card was looked at. And actually, that was VAR being used properly, but I don't see why the fourth official couldn't have seen that as he was so close to it. Um, I think that it's taking responsibility away from the refs and the linesmen. They should be the ones in charge of the game, not somebody in Stockley. But the fact that we held, or the HF held up the vanner that said FVAR or whatever it was, even when the VAR was going on for the violent conduct and they were singing FVAR while that was going on, just shows what everybody thinks. It's, it's taking, away, taking the game away from the pitch and somebody further up the line is going to make mistakes rather than the ref and get rid, even if we benefit, uh, get rid. My point, my viewpoint is that I respect the right to people to protest, absolutely. And what they did over here or that they did uh, in the broadcast is they made sure that they showed that banner uh, and spoke about the VAR uh, comments during the uh, the match yesterday to kind of point it out. Unlike Nick, I have I'm not, I don't have a bigger problem with VAR. I think it has to be in the game because every other major sport has a video uh, refereeing. The issue I have with it is the thing that is the IFAB thing. The rules are messed up. The offside rules are jokes. So it's a handball rule. They have to be changed. And unfortunately, uh, Mark Clattenberg was on NBCSN this weekend. He's been talking the entire time, and the idiot has a good point. <laughs> on VAR, which again is that you have to change the rules. Uh, they have to look at the rules and they have to be rewritten. Once they're rewritten and they have to also take certain things out of VR, I think it's going to work, but I'm not shocked that people don't like it because it has been utilized or not implemented really poorly by the Premier League. No other league does it the way they do it. And once they figure that out, I think it'll be it'll be much better. But I get why people are upset. Um, I'm not one of them, but I get why people are upset about it. There are inconsistencies which with what seemed to be very, very similar incidents. I know there was a Liverpool player that possibly could have gone off yesterday for a similar tackle that um, Aubameyang did yesterday. Uh, the only way you're going to get rid of that is either have one ref, only one ref, and the, the teams fit around when he's available, and one VAR person, because you get different people, you are going to get the inconsistencies, which you can't account for, no matter how hard you try. Well, look, that, and that's really a, a point that's been massively misunderstood, and it's good that you bring it up because I think, first of all, with anything like this, you have to set the right expectations. I, I, I won't try not to bore you too much, but it's an exercise in con incredibly poor change management, and something I, I know an awful lot about from from my uh, my day job it is in you know in terms of how to implement change and, and what the general reaction is going to be and how you can mitigate that in advance and all that kind of stuff and, and the, the main message that you have to ensure is that you are setting a proper expectation for the change that you're going to make and everyone seems to have this perception that VAR is there to make certain decisions and I include the people who are implementing it in that which is idiotic because you, you aren't talking about certainties you're still talking about human beings interpreting information so you will get inconsistencies as Nick said you will get incorrect calls it will still be it's exactly the same so immediately people are saying well what's the point of it if you're still going to have mistakes well if you set the expectation right in the first place of hang on a sec you know Guys, bear in mind that when we're talking about getting more right decisions, not every decision right, I think that would have helped a great deal, but they didn't do that. I think the technology has been misunderstood by those implementing it, particularly around the offside rule, because you know they haven't don't even seem to have done the basic research of 
you know, the the sort of frame rate and whether or not they can accurately measure offside to the millimetre, because they can't. Um, I think that's been demonstrated a number of times that the actual you know instance of where a player becomes offside is between the frames that are being looked at. So that in itself makes it absolutely idiotic as well. So you want to lose a straight away. And and all the, you know, as, as you've said in our chat there, you know, clear and obvious areas where it was sold. But I think, you know, that that hasn't counted for, for what they consider to be the, clear, the key decisions. The clear and obvious areas, like, is the referee overruling in a, in a key situation. But, you know, for things like offside, it's been sold as the perfect tool that will tell you categorically whether someone's offside or not. And it, and it doesn't do that. So if you don't tell people it does that and you don't treat it like it does that, then it can be a hell of a lot easier to implement it. You know, similarly, I think, you know, the other fact of, of, you know, it not really, it's not for the fans, is it? You know, the way it, certainly the way it is now. No. You know, and I I kind of batted this away initially because I thought it would get easier. And my opinion was that, okay, it would just change how you celebrate a goal. And sometimes you'll get two celebrations and sometimes each each team will get a celebration each in the event of a goal. But, you know, that, that hasn't really worked out. Whether that would change over time and people are just, I'm not so sure, but I totally get why people say it doesn't feel like football anymore. You know, and I've, as soon as I started personally to experience that doubt of whether or not I should be happy that we've scored a goal immediately or whether I should react later on, you know, that started to, to lose lose for me as well. So, you know, I go back to, to minimising its use. That's where I still feel it has to come in for you know serious injustices and we, we've seen many of those as palace fans and you know every football fan up and down the country will say the same thing there's been tremendous injustices that should and could be righted with a with a couple of minute check here and there i think anything you know there should almost be a, a time limit where you know the guy monitoring var has 30 seconds to say whether or not it's right or wrong and if he can't do that he goes with the on-field call similarly that as i talked about before the referral system that's used elsewhere I think, you know, if you limit the number of referrals, that, that could also be um, worthwhile. You know, I, I feel there's a place for technology, but I don't feel as strongly as I did on that. And, I'm, you know, certainly not with the way it's been implemented at the moment. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Final word on that, Nick? Yeah, much as I hate it and said I've hated it, I didn't mind it too much last week when the ref went and actually looked himself. So people in Stockley Park, if they say to the ref, you might want to have another look at that, that's fair enough. Everything is still contained within the ground. I'm making hand gestures within the ground. Um, it's when it's extraneous to the actual events going on in the location where you are. You know, the ref, if he could put his hands up, yeah, I got that wrong. So if the ref looked every time and made his own mind up as to whether he'd made a mistake, yes, I'd like that a bit more. But it's taking away the the refs kind of control over the game really you know are they thinking oh well yeah i, I won't make a call there because var or sort it out so it's actually diminishing the responsibility of the refs and that's not a good thing yeah i think it just to me it just goes back as, a, as an overall finishing point on this it goes back to you know you have let's accept human error to a point right and and that's that's the kind of that's where the discussion needs to be for me where you know where are we accepting that human error if we're accepting it on the field of play as we always did fine we'll accept it but you know if we accept also human error within the within the technology itself i think that will make things a fair bit easier too but um where it is at the moment it's it's just not being used right the handball rule is stupid the offside rule is stupid and those are the things that really need to be addressed so well thank you very much indeed uh for listening um hopefully you've enjoyed our first show back for 2020 
Um, thank you, obviously, to Mikey for producing, Nick and Patrick for joining me. Um, plenty more coming from us um, over this week and the coming weeks, of course. Uh, so first up, I think, will be the Love Sports Show, which is now Wednesdays 8 to 9. And uh, a new host there, Miles Blumson, who's um, who's done a cracking job on the first show. Um, and Nick, still just a lot of fun, isn't it, the, the Love Sports Show still? Yeah, I, lo- I love actually being in a record in a studio and recording and uh, seeing seeing the ex uh, footballers coming in and out and um, yeah like some it's a chance for listeners to actually call in so if you do listen please phone up so we can have a little bit more interaction that would be that would be great absolutely right and uh, following Love Sport obviously the preview show will be back um, to talk about the City game ahead which uh, will be a big challenge for the team um, but as I say plenty more from us to come as well Um, anyway so that'll do thank you very much indeed and uh, speak to you again soon cheers bye it's the 90th minute all your mates around you've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget snatching all three points perfect order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app you in at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.